Hi, this is Jeff Cooper, and we welcome you to a Disney at Work podcast today. We're going to talk about the park guide map. Is it an endangered species? Well, one of the most beloved and cheapest keepsakes of any Disney visit are the park guide maps or guidebooks. These navigational and instructional tools have been showing guests where to go since the early days of Disneyland. Though they have evolved somewhat over the years, they have been a touch point for experiencing the Disney magic. But are they in jeopardy of being replaced eventually by the My Disney Experience app? This post and podcast looks at signs of endangerment and the legacy of Disney guidebooks, guide maps old and current, and what the future may hold. I should mention that the thought of doing this podcast came on one of my very first visits back to Epcot after the pandemic. I, I went over to Guest Relations not to grab a guide map of Epcot, but to grab uh, guide maps of all four parks. To my surprise, I was told that park maps or guide maps of all the other parks other than Epcot were not available any longer at that park. And in fact, while guide maps were available still in different languages, such as German, French, and Spanish, guide maps of different parks were only available at the very park you were at for that park. I wondered about that if that was really the case, or if maybe they just hadn't gotten the shipment Joe was supposed to bring over. And so not long ago, I stepped over to City Hall over at the Magic Kingdom, and I asked for a guide map to Epcot. The same explanation was given me. We no longer keep guide maps of the other parks at our park, just the one for the Magic Kingdom. I asked, what about Disney Springs? Nope, you can get one at Disney Springs, but not here. It really made me think, is the guide map maybe, uh, maybe in danger? The truth of the matter is, is that there are signs that suggest, um, well, that it might be in trouble. Uh, first of all, uh, there is a cost of production. It's not a big cost. In fact, paper and print costs have gone down measurably over the years, but still there's a cost to publishing them, to shipping them, to distributing them. The second is these aren't very conservation friendly. They, uh, Disney is very focused on uh, conservation and these maps just end up being wasted uh, in many cases. Um, so they're not necessarily conservation friendly. Next is, well, the reduction of their role in the parks. Um, is it really as necessary to pull out a guide map today as it was in years past, especially because of the next uh, issue, which is the emergence of electronic tools, especially the My Disney Experience app. With everything that that app has to offer, and we'll talk about its offerings later on, is it really so necessary to go grab a map and have it with you as you go through the parks? 
That, of course, then brings you to the issues of unavailability. You know, if you can only get that park map in certain locations, then um, its, it's uh, importance is not as significant anymore. And then finally, the last reason why I think the park maps may eventually expire, and this may actually be the biggest reason, is there isn't a sponsor for these maps. When Disney has somebody who promotes the maps and sponsors them, uh, you'd be surprised how they could change your mind about conservation and paper usage and cost. Uh, however, right now, there is not really any official sponsor, or if there is, that sponsor would probably be the My Disney Experience app. There is another example of how the maps may be endangered, and it comes from the Disney Cruise Line. For those who have sailed on the ships, you know, especially if you go back the last 20 years, one of the big parts of, of, of experiencing the Disney Cruise Line has been your personal navigator. At night, the copy of your personal navigator was left on your bed, usually with some kind of uh, towel, animal-shaped experience, and some chocolates. And you kind of, it was a tradition to come in after the day is over, grab your navigator, and start thinking about what the next day would be like. It would include all these different things, from fun facts to schedules to when shows were being held, um, what movies were being held, character appearances. There was so much in these personal navigators. However, over the last year, even before the pandemic hit, Disney Cruise Lines made a decision. The decision was not to include the personal navigator automatically on your bed. You could still grab a copy over at guest services, but it's not something that is uh, readily available and automatically given to you on each day of your trip. Meanwhile, Disney Cruise Lines has done a remarkable job of really building out its app. And the ability to use that uh, for a number of things has made that app uh, invaluable to the Disney Cruise Line experience. And so the Navigator may be soon a thing of the past. By the way, I have to just say before we go any further, I realize just how OCD I can be sometimes about Disney when I prepped for this show. I realize I've got nearly two file drawers of park maps, showtimes, brochures, and other paper memorabilia from the parks. I mean, from all the parks across the world. Yes, I have my own set of personal navigators. I've kept all of them from Disney um, cruises that we've done over the years. It's all there. Um, and some of those uh, some of those guides, park guides especially, hold huge emotional memories for me uh, because they were the things I used to better understand the parks between visits and to learn what the parks were like. For instance, well, let's talk about um, 
let's let's talk about what a typical park guide look like. I'm using an example, the Walt Disney World Winter Spring Guide of 1974. This is even before Space Mountain's been put out. But this guide was a beautiful guide. It's the same size as a traditional brochure today. But this is a 36-page booklet stapled in the middle. This was a much meatier product back in the day. Um, Full-color page. Important uh, to the dialogue here is um, well. Let me let me back up for a moment before I talk about this park guide. Let me talk about the history of these guides over the years. There's a website called Disneyland Daily, and they've done a terrific and pretty thorough job of giving the history of guide maps from uh, the Disneyland Resort, from the happiest place on earth. It gives us an understanding of how these maps have evolved over the years. And that evolution for Walt Disney World is very, very similar. In 1955, when Disneyland opened, they had a guide, but it was a single sheet of paper and it was trifolded. Um, so it was a pretty simple document. It did have a map on it. Very simple, very simple map back then. In 1965, that simple guide became a printed book with photos in it. And it was sponsored by INA. We all know who INA is, right? Right? You all know who it is, right? INA? INA is Insurance of North America. And I would not have any clue as to who INA was, except that INA was the official sponsor of the Disneyland Guide Map. And, uh, and by the way, it was also the sponsor of the Information Center on the corner of Disneyland as you headed toward the plaza. So if you think about the hot dog stand uh, being on one side, the Coca-Cola refreshments on the very opposite side, on that end of Main Street, you had an Information Center and you would come in and they would have a have books there that you could actually, you know how you, in the old fashioned days, you would register your name and write in your name as you stayed in a hotel. Well, the same thing occurred. They had these big books and you signed your name as having visited the parks. And by the way, I'm not sure if you can even see these anymore these days, but, but for years you could go back and see your name. And that is if you could remember the date in which you visited and the time you, which you visited, it would take some searching to find it. But you could go back and look at this. And all this was sponsored by INA, Insurance of North America. And that's important because I think that's what promoted these guidebooks. The first brochures were pretty simple and not very memorable. But when it bumped up to INA sponsorship and it became a printed booklet with photos and with staples, um, it, it became significant. I should also mention, oh, by the way, Disneyland's during this period was pocket size. Now, when Walt Disney World opened, it was the full brochure size. Um, but in the early days of Disneyland during the 60s, these were pocket size. They just stick in your back pocket as you walked along. I should also mention well, and I'll, I'll come back to this as we go through the Walt Disney World guidebook. The Walt Disney Company is an organization that prides itself on its artistry, its ability to illustrate, 
its ability to draw and to render imagery. Let me just say, these park maps were terrible <laughs> park maps. These, and I'll give you examples, but these were not how the parks really looked back then. They were very sketchy drawings and images and very simple. And, uh, and so that was the funny thing. And, and yet I would study these things for hours on end. It was so funny. Now in 1977, the Disneyland guide map became larger, much like the one had already um, been going on at Walt Disney World. And its size was around 30 pages. At this point, and the thing that is significant here is that in 1977, GAF becomes the sponsor instead of INA. GAF, you know, GAF. GAF is a film company. And GAF was also the maker of the GAF Viewmaster Reel, which is another thing that I collected as a kid were these Viewmaster Reels. You put them in the little view uh, finder and you, you click on it and you go through one of seven images on a reel. You see these reels, by the way, when you are in the queue at Midway Mania at Disney's Hollywood Studios. My favorite one, there is one that shows Tomorrowland. I had that reel, it was a lot smaller compared to the one in Midway Mania, but I had these. And GAF was the first sponsor of these newer guide maps. It then was followed by Polaroid for a couple of years, and then Kodak, especially as Kodak went into a longer term relationship with the sponsorship of Journey to Imagination and the whole um, Captain EO and so forth. And these maps, by the way, became a lot more accurate and a lot more well laid out. In 1994, the maps went to a single sheet foldout with some of those maps kind of like it would fold out and then you would flip it up to undo it to a larger picture and others which are currently as they are now just folding out. In 1994, we were introduced to a single sheet foldout. Sometimes these folded just simply out and sometimes they folded out and then folded up or unfolded up and created more of a square shaped diagram. But it was all a single sheet of paper, very colorful, lots of information, but a much simpler um, guide map than had had been existing years before. By the way, I should also mention that most of these guide maps up until this time, until 1994, most of these guide maps did not include uh, shows and times in the park. So if there was a particular show going on, a particular parade, the time of the fireworks, that was often a, a very separate uh, paper uh, brochures, sometimes just a very single uh, double-sided paper that would that would also be attached or would be available alongside of the guide maps. Up until recently, most of these guide maps um, were printed on a quarterly or annual or monthly basis, not um, not on a weekly basis or short-term basis.
at any rate, the, the, in 2020 nowadays, you have this same kind of park map. It's a six to eight sided fold out, depending on uh, whether it's Disneyland or Walt Disney World. And, uh, and we'll talk about it, but let's, let's go back to 1974 to yesterday's information guide, the Walt Disney World. Here you have this surrealistic photo from um, Adventureland looking over toward the Liberty Square Bridge uh, to the castle, which seems kind of surreal because actually that picture is flipped backwards. Yeah, this picture back in 1974 is the opposite of how the castle would be facing. And by the way, you couldn't, even if you flipped it right, you couldn't uh, replicate that photo to today because of the amount of brush and landscaping that's filled in to that area. But if you really stare at that picture, you'll realize that the castle should be facing an entirely different direction. The bridge was the old bridge. It was a Concord Bridge um, style bridge that they had back in the day. It's since been replaced in the last uh, 10, 15 years. By the way, on the bottom of this guide map, it says compliments of GAF. Uh, so again, we've gone right now toward the years in which these park maps were sponsored by film companies. The biggest thing, and I show this again in the notes page, the biggest thing that was present in these early guidebooks was a listing of the different tickets in the ticket book and which attractions went with which ticket. You're probably familiar with the fact that Disney had an A through E ticket coupon. Well, before um, uh, the Matterhorn, it was A through D. But after the Matterhorn, they went through an A through E coupon book. And so one of the things that was provided was a listing of all the attractions available uh, on this ticket book. So look at this Walt Disney World one. You should know that if you wanted to go on Davy Crockett's Explorer Canoes in Frontierland, you needed a C coupon which is interesting because the keelboats were a B coupon and the Plaza Swan boats were a D coupon. Why were these differing? It really has to do more with the popularity of the attraction. The more popular the attraction, the higher the ticket, the more available um, seating was, the higher um, the, the uh, for instance, there was less availability in the Explorer canoes than there were in the keel boats and so forth. So um, one of the things you notice is that the Mickey Mouse review, and I just got through talking about in our last podcast, this is one of the attractions I never had a chance to do. It was a D ticket at that point, along with the Liberty Square River boats and the Walt Disney World Railroad and the Tropical Serenade. If you wanted, the e-tickets included the Jungle Cruise, the Country Bear Jamboree, the Hall of Presidents, the Haunted Mansion, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, It's a Small World, and Pirates of the Caribbean. This is 1974, so 
at the in the next version of this ticket book, Space Mountain would come out and that would become an E ticket. And I want to say I want to say that Country Bear Jamboree at that point then became a D ticket as but I could be wrong on that. They also list the free attractions. Back then, you could go see the Diamond Horseshoe Review. You could go on If You Had Wings. Um, if You Had Wings, Had Wings, Had Wings. Um, presented by Eastern Airlines. You could go see the Circle Vision um, movie that was available and presented by Monsanto. And you could also go visit the Walt Disney Story, very similar to One Man's Dream at Disney's Hollywood Studio. All those were free. And all this was listed in your ticket book back in the day. Then you get to individual pages. Actually, they would be a map on one side and a listing of all the attractions, food and refreshments, shops and stores, and entertainment for a particular land. I included two of these. I didn't include the whole booklet because again, it was 36 pages. I included Adventureland. And I did that to give you an idea of just how poor, and I have at these, this point, this is 1974, I have written the company. I didn't go to Walt Disney World to 88. And so in order to get this guide map, I had written the company saying, would you please send me anything on Disney? And they sent me, that was very nice. They sent me one of the guide maps along with a newsletter they would have in the hotels and some other little brochures and things like, man, I, I just clung to these and studied them to no end. But they're so inaccurate. When you look at the Jungle Cruise, the whole drawing doesn't even include the temple that you've been in, puts the elephants in the wrong place. It's totally wrong. Um, it shows the detail of the, of the queue that goes into Tropical Serenade, which is the Enchanted Tiki Room. But they show the space leading to Pirates of the Caribbean as, as being a very narrow path when it's a very wide, broad space going in. By the way, in this in 1974, while Pirates was available and had opened up House of Treasure, the Golden Galleon, which were gift shops at um, in, in the Caribbean Bazaar area, and uh, Princesa de Cristal, and El Pirata y El Perico, the Pirate and the Parrot uh, restaurant was not even open. All these had yet to open, even though um, Pirates of the Caribbean was open. Another example of how bad these were is Fantasyland. So again, I would stare at these things for hours. I had way too much time on my hand as a, as a 10, 11, 12 year old. And, but I would stare at these to understand the space between different things. And the castle did not give a good example to how it was spaced to the rest of it. They would draw a picture of the castle and then they would do roof layouts of all the other buildings. Um, in one instance, you see Mr. Toad has like no space dedicated toward it. It is, it is, it's almost because they were kind of confined. I think this is what happened is because the, the, the workbook was so, or not workbook, but the guide map was so narrow in its size, they had to kind of collapse the sizes. That's why Small World and Pinocchio's Village House has these very long, narrow designs to it, as well as Mr. Toad, just kind of clipped at the end. Very, very strange, but let me tell you, I was studying these things, I was trying to understand these things. 
on one page they have a much uh, a little better layout um, of the entire park to include the GAF photo trail because there would be little signs along the way showing you where you could take the best picture possible um, when you were taking pictures at Walt Disney World. And so they had one layout of the park, which was similar to the big park map that they would sell. That park map was about a foot and a half by a foot and a half in size. This was a smaller version, only um, the colorization of the map was very different. All the buildings are white and only, and the paths, which are all yellow on the big map, are actually different colors in the guidebook. Um, again, when you look at this, it was totally, there were so many inaccuracies to this map. For instance, take a look at the space to the left of the Hall of Presidents. What you will see is a cluster of buildings. They were never built. They were planned on, but they were never built at Walt Disney World. And so again, it just is a poor design. And this map, even though they've advertised Pirates of the Caribbean, it doesn't show the whole Caribbean Bazaar area at that time. So again, there were, it's just a lot of misses um, in these early, you'd think for an organization that took so much pride in illustration, they would have had maps that uh, that were more accurate now before i leave this guide map i have to show you and this is just my favorite part gaf photo tips this is this is what you need to do in order to take really great pictures like uh, hold the camera steady and um, don't block the lens in one situation they show a family standing like 40 feet away in order to catch the image of cinderella castle full vertical you can't even see the family so they say hey well you know bring your family up close but keep the castle in the background in another situation they show the family standing in teacups and they say you know it would look better if they took a picture of the family on the teacups and then they even said and this is i so agree it says um some pictures don't even need your family and then they show a picture of the nautilus sub from Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea and yeah they're right you don't need you don't need family members. I know because I, it says here, uh, yeah, it, it says here, um, avoid repetition. 15 different shots of the Cinderella castle are fine for a castle picture collection, but pick out only the cream of the crop for your show. The same goes for a family photos. Include several to show that you were really there, but save the majority for your family album. Well, I have to be honest. If I only had 15 different shots of Cinderella Castle, I'd be doing really well. More like 150 shots of Cinderella Castle or more. And oh, by the way, my favorite, my favorite suggestion, besides uh, make sure you go get your film uh, developed immediately. Some of you are still sitting on rolls of film out there that haven't had, uh, you haven't gotten them developed. Um, but it says an important word about flashbulbs. Flashbulbs are prohibited in most indoor attractions in the Magic Kingdom. Haunted Mansion, Hall of Presidents, Mickey Mouse Review are given examples. Don't try to illuminate large subjects or anything further than 12 feet away. Larger distant objects at night must be shot with time exposure. A flash picture of Cinderella Castle would require more than 100,000 flashbulbs. So true. How many times 
do I like see a nighttime parade go by or something and people are using a flash bulb to, or flash on their camera to take a photo. Anyway, this is all part of what I learned staring for years at the Walt Disney World 1974 guide map. Now make a comparison contrast to today's guide map. In that guide map, I decided I'd use Epcot as an example of uh, the guide map. And um, in it, we do have a terrific, and I put the entire guide map on there. You have a terrific map of the park and today's guide map is a very accurate guide map. It looks the way Epcot looks in real life. It shows the details of where to go and what to do and it does it in a beautifully illustrated way. By the way, there's some things that are quite interesting when you get the picture of the map. For instance, you will notice that there's a big old Innoventions West that's missing, which is an interesting thing because actually the, the North Innoventions West building hasn't been taken down, just the South one, um, but both are shown missing and just green on the map. What the map doesn't show is how you're going to get around this park with a thousand fences up. That was kind of, I think, a missing thing. But also what it does show, it shows future home of Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind, future home of play. And in the, uh, in the key, it also says under World Showcase, Coming soon, Remy's Ratatouille adventure. Join Remy as you scurry through a supersized world of, Gust of Gusteau's restaurant. Um, and on the map, they actually show this portion of France already laid out. You can't go there yet, but it's actually laid out on the current Epcot map. So it's kind of a pretty cool thing to see. Shows you what's coming and going and what's happening in the parks. But the rest of the guide map is kind of interesting because while there is information about the pandemic and COVID and how you need to take care of yourself, um, health and safety reminders, wear a face covering, maintain physical distance and so forth, the rest of the guide map is really um, about all the different reasons you need to be on the My Disney Experience app right now. You need to go there because it will allow you to browse all of this information in real time. You need to go there because it will allow you to um, do Play Disney, which is their uh, play app with games, trivia, music, achievements, and more. You want to go there because it allows you to... Um, step into the photo pass option that they have there. It allows you to order meals in advance. In other words, this, the funny thing about this, uh, this map is that it's really an advertisement for you to go into the My Disney Experience app, checking in for dining and so forth. Um, so it's kind of even lost and found. To report a lost item, please visit DisneyWorld.com lost and found. There's just all these things that it's pointing to, and it's pointing to something that isn't on paper. Clearly, times they be a-changing. The truth is, the My Disney Experience app has a lot of advantage. 
uh, to it. It allows you to access the entire property. Uh, you don't need to worry about getting a map for the other parks. You can look at all the parks. Um, and you can look at the, you could be standing in Epcot looking at a map there, then go over to a map of Disney's Animal Kingdom and see what the wait times are over there. You can zoom in and zoom out of all these park maps. You can see different menu overlays. So it shows where character meets and greets are. It shows where food and beverage, where retail is, where entertainment is. By different layers of the map, it allows you to see all these things without all of them cluttering up the same space. Provides you park hours, not just today, but every day what the park hours are going to be it allows you to find your location this is huge the gps feature allows you to know where you are at this moment in case you're kind of lost it allows you i don't know if you remember these they're called fast passes <laughs> maybe you remember them it allows you to make modify and delete fast passes it permits you to um to make and check up on your boarding pass for something like rise of the resistance it allows you to go in and make a dining reservation. It allows you to go ahead and do a mobile order at a counter service restaurant. Get your favorite Dole Whip. It provides a play option for games and entertainment. It promotes options. This is a new thing I even saw just today. There was a whole promotional video on the main page to visiting Shanghai Disney. Off of the Walt Disney World app, it was completely, completely out of the blue. Um, but it allows you to promote options. It allows you to uh, modify hotel reservations, uh, GPS marketing. So because I've got that phone with me, I go walking down Main Street at Disneyland and all of a sudden I get this text message saying, Gibson girl nearby, would you like an ice cream sundae? Order it right now. It is marketing to me in real time and then finally and this is important to disney's bottom line it allows you to make purchase decisions instantly so you could see that there are a lot of reasons why the company why walt disney world why disneyland wants you to be on their app it's going to not only allow you to do things you can't do otherwise it allows them to promote and to um, make money in ways it can't do through a paper guide map. Now, I will also say in support of my dear beloved guide maps, which uh, are part of my experience at Disney, there is a couple of problems with the app. It's not really a keepsake or record in time. I say that with the caveat that it is very cool and it is a big part that you are able to go in almost minutes, depending on the day, after you've had a photo taken and be able to go in and see those photos. So that is very cool, but it isn't a brochure. I mean, if you went to the park three days ago, guess what? There is no, nothing from the park app that says this is what it looks like three days ago. It's gone. It's lost in time. And so it's not a record in time. Second, uh, it 
depends on the internet. And Disney's internet access is not always a really great thing. And so sometimes you just need a piece of paper telling you what's going on. And you can carry it with you and not worry about the fact that your phone is running out of energy. That's, that's an issue to be reckoned with. And then third, and I'm probably the most important to me, is it's not something you can so easily emotionally connect to. Well, not to say that you don't have emotional moments. You get a boarding pass for Rise of the Resistance. Th that is a big moment of joy that you lucked on to getting that pass. And there's an emotional connection in that moment. But, but as something you go back through and say, you know, I remember when I was seeing America on Parade. And there's that Disneyland guidebook showing America on Parade. It's, it, uh, it misses that. Well, at any rate, I do not believe that uh, the guide map is going away anytime soon. So don't feel like you've got to rush to the park to get your last copies. I think it's okay for the time being. But know that we're kind of moving out of that era and it probably might not be around five or ten years from now. That said, uh, this is not just about Disney. This is also about your business, your organization, how you deal with communications and your customers. So as always in Disney at Work podcast, we offer souvenirs for your organizations. They're available electronically when you go at Disney at Work. They're listed right there. Let me share with you what those are. Think about how they apply to your organization. First, how can you make information easy and accessible to your customers, no matter the format? Second, how can technology improve that communications delivery? How can it do things that you haven't been able to do before? Third, how can you provide real time updates in your communications? Let people know what's going on here and now. Fourth, how do you back up your communications so that they're always in some form available? If not in electronically in print, if not in print by word, how do you make sure that there's always a backup in getting the word? By the way, one of the great messages out of Disney and its communications is that it uses many forms of communication to get the word out to both its customers, i.e. guests, and to its employees, i.e. its cast members. That's a big takeaway from this. Next, how can you make providing information profitable? These park maps wouldn't have become what they became if somebody wasn't sponsoring them. How could you maybe increase per caps or sales via your communications? Can they enhance your ability to do business and increase your profit line? And finally, and I think this is as important as any, how can you emotionally connect with your customers via communications? I think when you when people leave and they think about an app or a brochure or whatever piece of information and they have an emotional connection to it, that's that's a big thing. So look for those opportunities 
to connect emotionally with your guests and customers. Well, hey, this has been uh, another uh, Disney at Work podcast. Check out our other Disney at Work podcast. Make sure you follow us at DisneyAtWork.com. You'll notice that previously we had just done two back-to-back podcasts on Shanghai Disney retail operations, the magic of Shanghai Disney retail. And let me just say, I, I feared that people seeing the one wouldn't bother going to see the second. Well, I can tell you the people who saw the first went back to the second. So there's something to be seen there. Um, I think you'll find that uh, there's some really interesting stories and examples in there. Also, I, I wondered if anybody would listen to this podcast, but it actually has been the most listened to podcast of the last month of all of them that we've had. And it is Michael Eisner's best and worst decision. This is really a memoriam to Judson Green, a former uh, head of Walt Disney Parks and Resorts Worldwide who recently passed away. Fascinating stories about the contribution of this man and an unfortunate departure from Disney. Very little known stories about it. You want to check it out. Also, make sure you check out our Disney at Play uh, podcast as well while you're up there. I just did a, a recent one that talked about seven Disney attractions that are no longer there that I wish I could have experienced sometime in my life. Yes, Mickey Mouse Review, you are in there. And so much more. So make sure you check out our podcasts and posts. We have a lot to share with you. Make sure you subscribe. Thank you for joining us. Finally, in the words of Sinbad's storybook voyage, number 37, always follow the compass of your heart in the words of Alan Menken. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon.